4: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The gloom has descended on the capital this morning as the clouds have moved in and the temperature has plummeted. The streets of London, meanwhile, are getting busier as more and more people make a return to work in one way, shape or form. While Prime Minister Boris Johnson has urged everyone to hold their patience and stick to the lockdown rules, there are signs that the edges are beginning to fray somewhat. This morning, we talked to former MEP Claire Fox on the virtues or otherwise of the lockdown. She says we shouldn't be enjoying our new restricted lifestyles and the sooner we can find a new normality the better I think I tend to agree with her while uh, clearly we do need to stick to the way that Boris Johnson has asked us to stick to uh, there are some people who have decided that if they voluntarily stopped working and they can voluntarily start again then surely that's what they should be doing we'll also be joining in the minute silence this morning for health workers who have passed away during the pandemic that's coming at 11 o'clock Uh, Later on we're travelling to New Zealand where their four-week lockdown is beginning to be lifted and where people have been eating McDonald's and drinking coffee for the first time in over a month. Plus we'll speak to the hospitality sector in this country where chefs and pub owners are worried it could be December before they are back in business. 0344 499 1000 is the number. And as ever, we want to hear from you out there on the front line of the lockdown. Your stories, your knowledge, and your problems are all very important to us. So please do get in touch. We've got a couple of interesting features now. Every single day, we're talking to somebody from which uh, about various problems that you might have. Today, we're going to look at what you do about tickets that you may have bought for concerts or events coming up, which have now been canceled. Uh, surely you should be able to get your money back if that's what you want. Also, uh, we'll be talking to Jeremy Godfrey Jeremy Godfrey from The Times Money Mentor uh, who's going to be telling us all about how the government has now managed to fix... Uh, the business interruption loan problem and so hopefully if you're a small business owner you can get that uh, some respite 0344 499 1000 also on homeschooling today we're going to be giving you another virtual tour of britain's history we're heading off to horse guards parade to find out what the changing of the guard is all about you are listening to me mike graham on the fastest growing radio station on the planet it is of course talk radio mid-morning with mike graham talk radio now, for anybody that was out at the weekend or anybody that was e- even on the streets uh, of this country over the weekend, you would have seen all sorts of people out there. There's people having parties in Scotland. There's people uh, visiting the beaches of the so- southern England. There's people in the parks of London. And all over the country, more and more people, when the weather is good, come out. The weather has taken a bit of a turn for the worse. But basically, the lockdown, I think, is beginning to, to move, not just because Boris Johnson says that we might have to look into moving into phase two, but because people are just getting to the point where they're thinking... Well, the more people that go out, the more people that should go out. Let's talk to Claire Fox, former Brexit Party MEP, founder of the Institute of Ideas as well. Claire, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us on The Independent Republic. Fascinating piece, I, I thought you wrote in The Spectator, about what it is that we are doing, what we've been asked to do, and why we shouldn't feel too sort of virtuous about it.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I want to remain slightly agnostic as to whether the lockdown. You know, people have sort of started to divide into for or against a lockdown. Yeah. Um, I, I accept that lockdown was brought in, best intentions. But what has really been irritating me are uh, uh, attempts to make out it's a a virtuous act, yeah. and that in fact this is the equivalent of you know going out and joining the resistance in right. the Second World War or something. Yes. No, um, I'm, I'm actually
4: very much with you on that because I'm similarly yes. similarly inclined. You know, I know that we have to do it. I'm, I think it was the right thing to do, but I also think now it's time to talk about coming out of it.
0: And also, people making a, a virtue of it you know, yeah. saying, oh isn't it wonderful, we've got this lockdown, we can do Zoom yoga you know, rediscover our inner selves, time to read the novels, and first of all it's a particular lifestyle mm. that would, in- <laughs> would encourage you to think that never seeing anybody and being stuck at home is a positive thing, so I think we should cut out the kind of overemphasis on how brilliant it is uh, even though we all want to see a silver lining I think that makes it something that it isn't, which is it's basically demobilised us. And more worrying, I think, to uh, become interested in free speech is anyone now who questions the lockdown or says that we should be planning to get out of it is immediately attacked for, you know, putting lives at yeah. risk, you know, risking the elderly. And that, I mean, it's, it's not a physical lockdown, it's not an intellectual lockdown. We're not supposed to not think. Right. So I think it's important that we retain our appetite for life. Yes, I think activity. you're right.
4: But isn't it rather middle class as well? It's all these middle class people who are walking around going, oh, isn't it great, I can now do my yoga. I mean, most people who are working class people are still getting on the Jubilee line, as far as I can see, every morning, because they can't work from home because they do manual jobs and they want to be out there if they can be.
0: It made me laugh, you know, when the, the, the lockdown started, quite a lot of commentators were saying, who are all these people on the tube? <laughs> and when I pointed out they were people going to work, yes. it was as though there was an imagination veil It hadn't dawned on them that most work is not sitting behind a computer. You know, you can't zoom in to mend the, you know, if you're a plumber. You know what I mean? So obviously, a lot of work is physical labor. A lot of people have had to carry on working. And people who are being stopped from working are actually having the most creative aspect of their personality bribed to them. You know, we don't celebrate unemployment when you're without a job. at home you don't think how wonderful how creative for you and i made the point in the article that for women for example for a long hard struggle to get out of the home as the only place that you could expect yourself because actually it's confining and it makes you maybe smaller and have a you know a a more obsessive internal (laughs) view of the world yes well
4: it sort of almost encourages the old curtain twitching doesn't it where people are looking outside to see what everybody else is doing and then complaining about it
0: yeah, somebody made the point that, that, that uh, on their street, that somebody's taken wearing a yellow, uh, you know, one of those visor jackets, oh, yeah. and a clipboard, and walking up and down. Well, like, she the, uh, like, the, like,
4: the, like the warden from Dad's Army. Yeah.
0: Put that light she out! Actually hasn't, yeah, she actually <laughs> hasn't got a job, but she wanted, and, and in a way, that's an instinct, isn't it? Because people do want to feel that they're helping. I think that it doesn't help that we're told that the only way that you can help is to do nothing. Yes. I just think it makes the virtue of the wrong thing. I, I also think they've missed an opportunity. I mean, OK, I accept the lockdown, but there's, you know, many young, healthy people who could have been maybe mobilised, the third workers who could have been mobilised on very specific projects to get them active. Mm-hmm. If you can say to people, we want NHS volunteers, why can't we have volunteers who will help with infrastructure or building? or You know, there is a thing yes. but somehow... They've made it seem as though the only thing that you can do to save lives is sit at home. And I think it's just demoralising. Yes. And it's not good for a society that's actually going to need a huge amount of energy to go and kick-start the UK to work again.
4: No. And because also, to to and when the weather's good. Effort. I mean, like this weekend, yeah. when the weather's good, everybody's out anyway. So, I mean, the idea that we, you know, when people complain, like I talk to Peter Hitchens from time to time, and he complains about this kind of, you know, uh, impingement on our liberty. I'm like, well, it doesn't look like that to me, to be honest. I mean, there's not, I know some people are having to stay at home, but there's an awful lot of people going out.
0: I mean, I've got friends in, in Spain and in Italy and in Poland, and let me tell you, this is a very light lockdown yes. in comparison with there. Mm. So I, I I appreciate that, by the way. I, I appreciate that the government gave us judgment and allowed us to interpret this. You know, and I don't think we are made... Fun of it, I think everybody takes social distancing seriously. I mean, effectively, people might be going out, but it is not the same. You're not able to socially interact in the same way. So you might go on a longer walk yeah. than you'd ever have dreamt of doing. Um, you might even go and sit on a park bench, which, of course, is almost like crime of the century these days. <laughs> well, and exactly I think, right. I think but you said you're quite right, right as well. To be moderate, mm. you know, to just be generous
4: with people you know yeah and also it's the free will isn't it that you miss basically because we are a country which is used to uh, basically allowing you to do whatever you want to do more or less you know unless you start to get into the real nitty-gritty of free speech which we haven't got time for today but but you know as you said it's sort of sensible for example to fix roads at the moment when there's nobody on them but i don't know if that's happening i see an awful lot of empty you know sort of orange fencing going along bits of roads in london and there's nobody working there
0: I know, and, I, and, I, and that's what's so ironic about it. Because actually, those jobs could have been seen as essential jobs. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, when life is normal, you you a weekend you can't get a train because there's works on the line. Yeah, right. Well, would it might not have been possible to have imagined that this would be a good time when trains are not running to actually do some repair work? And also, you know, we've all focused on old. People's homes and all the rest of it. Wouldn't it be brilliant if you'd have got that volunteer army to go in? I don't know, do plant lots of flowers, or paint yeah. the outside, or you know, things that would not have infringed the health or risked anyone. Yes. But somehow, in their in their efforts to really overemphasise the "stay home, save lives," they've effectively told people you your activity is irrelevant mm. and you should stop doing things. And, and I just think that you can lose the habit of being an active person and people are just screaming at the wall. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, let I, alone the fact... Sorry, sorry I
4: was going to say, I mean, I have some sympathy with the government doing what they did because I think if they hadn't done it, people's instincts yeah. would have been just to do what, whatever they would do normally. And I think in a funny sort of way, Nicola Sturgeon summed it up quite well a few weeks ago where she said, if your life is carrying on as normal, you're not doing it right.
0: Yeah, Because yeah. almost, you know, I, I, if, they, if they said to so, everybody,
4: look, the beaches are going to be open now, you know what would happen, everybody would go to the beach. It wouldn't be done yeah. sensibly, you know?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that there will be a time and a reckoning as to how we should have dealt with this and there will be all sorts of arguments about whether it was necessary. Yeah. But I tend to agree with you. I understand symbolically the lockdown meant something and actually people more or less kept to it. All I think now is that there is a danger of turning that into a kind of... There are cultural consequences to this. That's the point I'm making. And if you overemphasize and you start saying, you know, clap yourself because you've done nothing for three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. And if you then demonise anyone who slightly strays from a very prescriptive way of behaving, you're going to get into a situation where when you then want to mobilise people to go back to work, Mm. they will be so consumed with fear and ambivalence about what it is that you're meant to be doing that we won't be able to get people. I mean, there's already examples where when people have said when you can now return to work, that people are frightened to do so. So I think that mixture of fear and the demobilizing people and telling them to shut up and put up with it and celebrate it and all the rest of it can have some serious consequences moving forward. I I just think it's time to at least free people up from that. And I'm actually quite glad to see a bit of initiative people using common sense Mm. and saying, well, you know, know, I might have a a picnic uh, with the family. You know, I'm going to not necessarily interpret this in the strictest possible way
4: yes and just sit far enough apart so that that's still part of and because exactly. I think we, because i think we have to think about you know people talk about people who die with coronavirus rather than of it and i think we need to talk about the economy that way where we say look this is going to be around for a while so we have to think about rather than hiding away from it how we can work around it how we can live around it while it's exactly. there without feeling as though we can't do anything anymore
0: I know. And also, you know, you've got to think that those people who celebrate the lockdown sometimes don't understand that for millions of people they're they're sitting at home and they're absolutely consumed with panic about the yeah. fact that they might not have a job, that their business is going under, that, that, you know, the guy that they work for who's got a small business is not going to survive. And if, in fact, you could be thinking through, well, look, how can we make this work with social distancing? Nobody – I'm not one of the people who's saying, you know, go out and defy it. I think it's a waste of time. I'm not of that ilk. I do think, though, that we should be planning now exactly how we're going to restart society. Mm. And I think being told we're not going to discuss it, you know, all of these things actually has the impact that we're just not going to be banned for. You know, we we should now – be working out how we're going to make the economy boom again which sounds the most unlikely thing after this massive uh, hit but why shouldn't we be thinking yeah. that? that? No, is listen, exactly I've
4: been saying that, that from the that beginning it. because everyone who says to me, oh, this is going to be disastrous, it's going to be terrible, it's going to be the worst crash of all time, well, partly because of that, the government is, is basically sort of duty-bound to save it so the government actually can really boost the economy with all the money that they're going to put into it and quite frankly, the high street may end up being better off than it was this time last Last year
0: yeah and but if they had conversation with us if they started to encourage people to plan like that even if you were saying look stay at home but what you should be doing now is working out how you're going to make the business work and get people to just think in a future oriented way i think it's that sense of stultifying numbness that you get from just being told no you've got to sit still and not do anything uh, that actually i think is what will cause more damage. There is a danger, of course, that you can fatalistically accept that the economy won't work. If you've so demobilised and and made people feel fearful and so unable to act in this crisis, then how are you going to get them to really energetically take on what's going to be the greatest challenge? I mean, for me, the big challenge of this virus is how we respond once we're out of lockdown. Will we have the energy and the enthusiasm and the gut? and the courage. go back to work and say, right, we're going to now really make things happen and extraordinary. Let's make something positive out of it, And that you've just said.
4: Yeah, exactly. Because there are going to be areas, I was talking to a friend of mine in Scotland the other day, you know, up in Scotland, for example, particularly not so much Glasgow, Edinburgh, because they've got quite vibrant local economies, but outside of Scotland, outside of Scotland's major cities, it's all about tourism. And if you've got nobody coming to visit Scotland, you know, to go to the castles, to go and visit the lochs, and to, to tour around, do a bit of fishing and all of that, I mean, that's the whole economy as far as that's the Shop that shops in pieces.
0: Yeah, I mean there's going to be major sections of the economy that are going to need to say an additional boost is, mm. is the statement of the year. Right. But I think that one of the good things that we've seen is so many companies with an eagerness to repurpose, you know, turning gin factories into, you know, hand sanitizers and so right. on. I think you can see that people have got the creativity and the wherewithal to actually do something different if they're encouraged to. But what's not gonna happen is, if, if you are in a situation where you sort of say, we're in lockdown and they have got to go back and make, a, just make everything work again. Mm. I can't see how that's gonna happen, which is why, I mean, there's a lot of discussion. Why didn't they plan this? Why didn't they plan that? And there's some seeming fear that they have that if they don't just send these one-dimensional messages to us, you know, stay home, mm. stay safe, all the rest of it, that we're all going to go, that we're all going to, you know, run around like lunatics and risk lives and all the rest of it. I think it would be much better to try and start a mobilised, planned return, yes. and to actually say to some companies, look, can you repurpose now that maybe tourism's not gonna be in? What can you usefully do as a mm. company that we can help you with? If the government are going to give money, then why don't they creatively intervene in that yes. way? That's I- just the sort of thing I'm trying to. People to think about at least.
4: Yes, I think that's brilliant. Well, Claire, we must, we must get you on again. Thank you so much for joining us uh, and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Claire Fox, founder of the Institute of Ideas, former Brexit Party MEP. I think Claire's absolutely right. We do need to repurpose the nation. We need to repurpose the economy. And if it means being a little bit more creative and a little bit more adventurous and a little bit more imaginative about how companies employ people and what they actually make and how they operate from one year to another, this is surely the time to do it. We'll take your calls 0344 499 1000 because the conversation has already begun. Yes, Boris Johnson came back to work yesterday and yes, he said, we need to hold the line, we need to keep patient, we need to stay in lockdown for another period of time before we can even think about moving out. I get that and I'm not suggesting we should do anything other than that. However... What we need to do is think about how it works in the meantime, because we've heard this morning uh, and late last night about this new virus, which seems to affect young children. Obviously, that's going to have an impact on whether they send them back to school earlier rather than later. Uh, Parents are going to be worried about that. Parents are also going to be worried about what happens if all sorts of other things start becoming unlocked, if businesses can start moving people around, if the trains can start running again. You know, there's so much still still that we do not know. Uh, But we will be going down to New Zealand later on as well, where they are lifting the the lockdown a little bit after four weeks of a very serious lockdown where nobody was even allowed into the country uh, but they're now eating McDonald's and they're drinking coffee so there is hope for the future. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham
0: on Talk Radio.
4: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio with you all the way through until one o'clock when it's time for Ian Collins. Coming up at 11 o'clock, uh, we're going to fall silent here at Talk Radio uh, in tune with everybody else in the country to pay tribute to key workers who've lost their lives in the COVID-19 fight. The Prime Minister uh, will be among them and there's been more than 90 uh, frontline NHS workers who have been confirmed uh, dead since the 25th of March. Let's talk now to Dr Claire Girard, a GP, elected member of the Royal College of GPs as well. Uh, Dr Claire, very good morning
5: Good morning, Mike.
4: Thank you very much indeed for joining us. How important is this uh, recognition at 11 o'clock today?
5: I think it's terribly important, actually. Uh, I think that the fact that so many people have died and they've died doing their duty, I think it is important that we we pay tribute to them and many of them, you know, my colleagues and, and, and others, friends, uh, that we need to be just sort of paying our respect to. Of course, it's other workers of well we've had care workers social yeah. workers my son's a social worker and I know that you know in his profession uh, people have died in the course of their work so I think it's important that we respect all the people that yes. are trying to make our life safer
4: I mean it is an incredible story this I mean I, as a journalist I've been saying for a long time I've never seen anything like this I don't, don't suppose I ever will see anything like this you know but I mean as an, as a medical um, qualified individual as a doctor you must be kind of horrified um, and amazed almost at the same time that you guys have become such an important part of what we do in this country, but also um, you're having to fight this awful thing which we still really don't know much about.
5: Yes, I mean, on a personal level, I'm not putting myself at considerable risk. I'm mainly doing through like the rest of the world, through Zoom yeah. or telephone, I have also had it. So have I'm you? So hopefully, hopefully immune, but we'll wait we'll yeah. and see what, what, what Were you, happens.
4: Were you able to get a test?
5: I did get a test. It was very early on, uh, so it was the beginning of March when the 111 was still having hubs. I'm sure we yeah. don't remember testing hubs. But uh, so I feel, and I have seen patients since then, and I feel, you know, I have seen them face to face because we have to see some patients. But I think the people that are dying and the ones that are, are, are right at the front ends are in intensive care, yeah. critical care. My colleagues, my GP colleagues, terribly sad, uh, terribly, terribly sad. These GPs, a lot of them older, who have been doing unbelievably fabulous work mm. over many years and have been unsung heroes and have now taken their lives have now gone because of their, their commitment to their work. So. I think it is important that we, we respect and, and and fall silent for Sure.
4: Because the difficulty seems to be, for me anyway, in, in trying to figure out what is going on with this disease, is, is that it affects some people just disproportionately worse, doesn't it? How bad how badly did you have it?
5: I, well, in retrospect, I don't think I had it bad at all. At the time, I was very ill. I yeah. was ill for four days uh, with a very high temperature and couldn't barely move and a lot of pain in my muscles. But now hearing about other people, as we have heard, who up in t- intensive care and, and are very sick. I think we've got to put things in perspective, though. We know that the older we are, the more likely we are to have a, a worse outcome. We know that that it's each decade of our lives, the outcome becomes worse. We also know certain groups have it a lot worse, so uh, those with underlying health problems and, and, sadly, those who are very overweight. Mm. We do also know, and I know there's a lot of anxiety at the moment about children, that children... If they get it, it's an incredibly mild disorder. And I know children have died, and it's terribly sad, but the children have died, largely being children with with underlying health conditions, that may well, with other viral infections, sadly, might have have ended up uh, having a fatal outcome. So Mm. it is still, in children, I know we're now concerned about this, this Kawasaki and yes, I was going to ask you about that worries. because that
4: because is it possible that those children who were affected very badly by COVID-19 were actually affected by this other thing?
5: Well, Kawasaki, no one really knows what causes Kawasaki. What we just know is it's a description of what happens in the body, right. particularly prevalent in children. And what you get is a sort of inflammatory response of, of mainly the blood vessels, but also the lymph nodes. Now, the children uh, that appear to have had Kaw- Kawasaki, uh, some have had COVID and some haven't had COVID. And i think we've got to also say that it's because we have a national health service because we can collate cases very very rapidly because we have a single system that it might appear that we have suddenly got a large cluster of these and in fact what we're seeing is pediatricians across the country saying that we've got these is it connected to covid some of these children have had COVID, some haven't we know from our our colleagues in italy and spain that they too have seen this but we've Mm. always had kawasaki kawasaki can be caused we think by other bacterial or viral infections it's also got a genetic underplay much more likely it's described in japan and it's much more likely in in children of japanese and south asian mm. origin so but yes it's just adding isn't it mike to the to the mix of anxiety and so it's, it's difficult to get things into perspective it's difficult to say and go back to first principles the chances of dying are very very small i know we're you know we've seen 20 odd thousand deaths now so the chances of dying is still very small the chances of a fit, healthy person dying are really really small most yeah. of us are going to get this and pull through it or, or hopefully most of us will get it and pull through it because it'd be good you know once we do we'll all get it mm. and the simple measures like washing one's hand will keep the virus at bay so in terms in times of anxiety and i think this news stories causing a great deal more of anxiety, go back to first
4: principles and what about the um the the point at which we reach when perhaps you know i think we the government has i think successfully flattened the curve so the nhs hasn't been overwhelmed which i think is is something they should be congratulated for even though very few people seem to want to do that um in terms of how many people get it to the point where it might become safe for us to go back to doing certain types of behaviors i mean is it is possible to say isn't it
5: Well, I I can't say, because I I only have knowledge of what I've discussed with my husband over the dinner table, like everybody else, Uh, so I haven't got any in-depth knowledge, and we started this with herd immunity, didn't we? Many of us should have it, and herd immunity, for example, with measles, you need to get to 80 or 90% before you've got herd immunity. I'm not sure we're ever going to get to those figures, but more to the point, I think it's about how do we protect ourselves, how do we protect our colleagues, how do we protect those vulnerable and as you said how do we actually say that those in charge despite all the, the, the moaning and, and the, the worries they are doing their best yeah. the curve does appear to be flattening though i, I notice there's some once we count care home deaths of course it rises but care home deaths we are counting and many other countries are not counting them and there's also not counting other deaths such as pneumonia where you know the cause of death as in germany because they're doing much more testing mm. of course they're not overestimating whereas we might we might be erring on the side of saying well actually this person died of pneumonia therefore it is COVID." so i think we've got to all just wait and be patient this will in time we'll know how we did but at the moment in the midst of a pandemic we should just support those are doing unbelievably hard jobs including our politicians and our senior medical advisors and of course uh, start to, 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 to actually pay respect to those who have lost their lives.
4: Yes, and uh, I suppose when um, we do get to 11 o'clock this morning, will you have any particular thoughts about anyone in particular that you, that you know has yeah. passed away?
5: do you know who I'm going to think of? And it's not a health profession. It's a patient of mine okay. that I have seen every two weeks for about 20-odd years, and he died of COVID. And I, uh, you know, I feel very sad, very, very sad that he died. And... Uh, very sad that he died alone and so you know i think we're all going to be respecting those patients and staff aside who 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 have gone
4: of course well i appreciate your time thank you very much indeed dr claire girada elected member of the royal college of gps i think making uh, some very good points there and talking for an awful lot of us um, who are very sorry ..about the people that have passed away. You may know someone. uh, You can think of them at 11 o'clock. Because although it is, generally speaking, um, a moment's silence, a minute's silence for uh, people who are uh, key workers who have passed away, you know, there's nothing wrong with thinking about other people that you know uh, who have also passed away. We'll be honouring that minute's silence here on Talk Radio at 11 o'clock. Coming up next, though, uh, we're going to be uh, taking some of your questions and putting them to Gemma Godfrey, Executive Editor of the Times Money Mentor. She's going to be telling us about the new Business Interruption Loans, which appear to have now been fixed by Rishi Sunak. So if you're a small business, you may wish to listen to this and find out how you can get some help from the government if the banks are not really doing what they're supposed to be doing. 0344 499 1000. Don't forget, uh, we're also live streaming on YouTube, on Facebook and on Twitter. So you can watch us in all those three places as well. Go to YouTube, like it and subscribe to it and you get all the other good things that we do as well here at Talk Radio. We'll be back after this.
0: morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
4: Now, when was the last time you drove past a McDonald's and thought, yeah, I could just have one of those? I haven't had one for a month now. Or well, maybe is it five weeks or is it six weeks? Or is it seven weeks? Well, down in New Zealand, McDonald's have reopened and Ed Swift, formerly of this parish here at Talk Radio, uh, now with Newstalk ZB based in Auckland, uh, has had a Big Mac, I believe. Ed, a very good uh, yeah. afternoon to you.
1: Uh, good, well, good evening and good morning to you, Mike. You yeah, no, we've had, we've had, um, may have had mackers for breakfast and then thought, oh, you know what, cheeky fish and chips takeaways for dinner <laughs> couldn't go on this either. And I'm sure it's not going to be the last takeaways we have this week.
4: <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, you've had quite a serious lockdown, haven't you? I mean, New Zealand, one of the more successful countries uh, in the past month or so to, to more or less grind to a halt the coronavirus outbreak.
1: We had. I mean, we had our first case announced uh, or revealed at the beginning, at the end of February, and it was just under a month later that the Prime Minister here, Jacinda Ardern, said, OK, look, we're going to go to what we call Level 4 lockdown, which basically means everything is closed except for pharmacies and supermarkets, obviously with social distancing rules in place. Um, it was meant to go for four weeks. They extended it a little bit. We've just had a public holiday weekend here, uh, so they wanted to wait until that um That was over before they lifted it and went down to level three, which allowed a few more things to open. So as well as essential goods, we can now shop online for normal goods. We can now uh, order takeaways. We can order from our our favourite restaurants as well. They've really adapted to it and said, "Okay, well, we're going to offer a delivery service and deliver you these wonderful meals that we usually cook. We can't have you in the restaurant, but take it home with you.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And so while the lockdown was on and it was hard, were you not able to do any of those things?
1: Uh, literally, not, no no going out, no getting food. You had to, you know, cook your own meals or right. get some sort of ready meal from the supermarket. But, it, you know, you were literally confined to your home unless you were going out for a walk or going to run an essential errand, like going to the supermarket or going to the pharmacy. That was it. Uh, it some people were allowed to go to work if they were essential key workers, obviously. Right. But other than that, you were stuck at home.
4: Okay. And and so were you uh, personally stuck at home? Did you Were you able to get out? You had to cancel your wedding, didn't you?
1: Yeah, so we were meant to get married um, ooh, a couple of weeks ago now. Right. So we, we cancelled the wedding. We made the call a couple of days beforehand thinking, OK, look, our friends from overseas aren't going to be able to come in. Sorry, sorry again, you couldn't make it, Mike. Um, you know, we thought, I'm very well, sorry let's just too. let move it a year. <laughs> let's just move it a year and that way we'll be well clear of it. Still kept the leaves that would have been our honeymoon, but ended up just spending two weeks sitting at home, hanging around, um, searching Facebook and Dreaming of
4: takeaways. <laughs> exactly right. Now, how did it taste the first time you got that? Because, funnily enough, when I read the story this morning, you were the first person I thought of. I didn't realise that you would have actually gone and got one. But the last <laughs> last time I drove, there's a McDonald's that I drive past on the way into to the radio station every day. And I just thought one, the other morning, I just thought, Oh, I could just go for one of those.
1: <laughs> I know the feeling. You know, we've been driving past them every day. And when I when I have been going to work, there's one right in the middle of the route. Um, so I have I have certainly missed it. The... the the McDonald's breakfast did taste very good. The coffee, not so great. Uh, the fish and chips uh, wasn't my favourite local one. Right. Unfortunately, they've decided to stay closed for another couple of weeks. Okay. But it was still good to have some greasy fish and chips.
4: Yes, I bet. And so is it? Is it, the, uh, is it has to be delivery only, or can you go through the drive through
1: it has to be contactless. So whether that's via delivery or drive-through, for example, um, some some places like our local fish and chip shop, the one that we went to tonight, they have a contactless uh, method. So basically, you have to do a phone order. You have to pay by um, by paywave, yeah. so you can't have pay with cash. And you have to pick it up, they'll leave it on a table, they'll step back and then you can pick it up and take it away with you. So there, there are rules in place around this um, and a lot of, the, a lot of the, those restaurants have adapted quite well so they can open their doors from today.
4: Okay. And I understand they shut down all flight incoming flights, didn't they? Certainly from anyone who's not from New Zealand. How's that working?
1: That's right. So they've closed the borders here except for returning Kiwis. Right. Um, it seems to be working well, and I think that's been credited, uh, to, you know, the, the reason we have so few cases, active cases now, has uh, been credited as the fact that we're not allowing people to come into the country. We're saying, OK, well, look, if you, if you do have to come into the country, if you are a Kiwi returning home, you are allowed to, but then you have a 14-day mandatory quarantine in a, in a hotel that's basically supplied by the government. I think you have yes. to pay a little bit back for it. Uh, but they say, you know, if you are coming back, you can. But you have to—you can't just self-isolate at home. You have to stay where we're telling you to, and go for walks when we say it's. It kind of feels a little bit uh, restrictive, but if that's the price of, you know, keeping the numbers down it's
4: working. Well, exactly right. And, I mean, obviously, we'll be watching countries like yours, although, of course, New Zealand has a much smaller population than we have here, but we'll be watching Spain and we'll be watching Austria, where they've just said that they're going to open hotels on the 29th of May. You know, the Italians might be opening their football league. The Australians, I think, are opening their rugby league. So, you know, there's things we can learn from all of the countries that are doing other things. What will be, do you think, the next stage uh, for the government there? Well,
1: the next stage, we're going to have a couple of weeks at this level, you know, where we will have contactless... Uh, You know, delivery, we Mm. will have takeaways open. In a couple of weeks' time, Cabinet here is going to meet and decide okay, do we go to a level two now or do we? Keep at alert level three just to really try and stamp out, stamp it out, and keep those numbers low, if not zero. Yeah. And then we go to alert level two, where we are allowed to socialise a little bit more. They're still going to work on what exactly that level two framework is. But last time when they when they introduced this alert system, you know, you could socialise. You did, you were able to go to restaurants, but you had to sign in and register. There were limits on how many people you could have at an indoor and an outdoor gathering. So uh, still restri- still a little bit restrictive, but. A little bit more freedom than what we've got at the moment.
4: Yeah, and I, as far as your working situation goes, are you are you still uh, broadcasting?
1: Yes, still broadcasting. We've we've actually done quite well in terms of um, our journalists. They're they're not just in the central building now. We've got some working from home. We've got some at another newsroom. So we've we've sort of protected ourselves as much as possible to make sure. Okay, if, if someone does get it, we do have. Uh,
4: contingency plans. Okay. So, are you ever going to go back to cooking for yourself, or is this going to go for about a week where you just keep ordering food? <laughs> I,
1: th- I think it's going to be a good week of t- takeaways. I've already, um, I've already arranged the uh, Zoom meet up with a friend for takeaway for KSC lunch on Saturday. Excellent. Maybe next week I'll be over the takeaways and be looking forward to a home cooked <laughs>
4: meal. Well, I mean, I think you could take the view that you're kind of rewarding yourself for being well behaved for about a month. So, I mean, I think, I think oh, exactly. I think you're, I think you're and fair yeah, enough.
1: And with the wedding now a year away, I can start the wedding diet next month instead of having to worry about it now. Exactly.
4: Exactly <laughs> right. Ed, great to hear from you. Thanks very much indeed. Ed Swift there in New Zealand, uh, having had his first Big Mac. I've had a great tweet from somebody said, this is just cruel, telling somebody to de- explain and describe what their first Big Mac was like after a month of lockdown. Let's go to the phones, though. Uh, we've got Paul, who's in Stoke. Hello, Paul. Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning. How are you? Very well, sir. What can I do for you?
6: Good, good. Just wanted to share my uh, experience. So I've been for my... COVID test. Oh yes. At one of the centres this morning. Yes. So um, yeah, um, I'm from France. Trent um, had to travel to Manchester Airport. Okay. Which is probably about forty minutes, but quite a quite a, a, a slick experience. I was really. going to say presumably slightly quieter than you would normally see on a weekday. Yeah, yeah, very much so, um, and it was well organised. Um, it, it was the, the staff were pleasant. Everything was was good. Um,
4: And what was the test actually physically like?
6: um, It's it's not the most pleasant thing. Uh, You have to stick a swab pretty much on your tonsils, which can make you gag, and then you have to stick the swab pretty far up your nose, which is. But it's it's only a few seconds. Right. Um, uh, But yeah, not too bad, not too bad at all. And did you get
4: the test because you're a key worker now?
6: Uh, No, um, we. My daughter works at the hospital, and she contract she contracted. Corona, uh, from the hospital, uh, and then I came down with symptoms. Okay. So um, we are—we're not frontline workers in our business, but we supply into the medical industry, yes. Food industry um, and, and other sort of infrastructure. Right. So we've been going to work. So as soon as I knew that I had to abandon work and come home. Um, so as I say, I started with symptoms. Are you feeling okay now? In all fairness, Mike, I, I, I know we can uh, people can take a bit of a downturn, mm. but uh, w- both myself and my daughter are not too bad. Right. And if this is if this is the level of it, I hope I'm positive. And, and and I get over it quickly. Yes. Uh, if this well, this is the, the weird button. thing,
4: isn't it? I mean, some people seem to get it and very very mildly indeed, and other people seem to get it and, and it just kiboshes them for a couple of weeks, and then they're fine. And then, of course, other yeah. people get it even worse than that. But so so when will you find out the, what the result is?
6: In forty-eight hours, basically. Right, okay. It's it's done quite to, quite well via your phone, you know, uh, QR codes and everything, and then okay. Uh, text you the results. Um, I'm pretty sure I've got it, and as I say, in a perverse kind of way, I hope I have. Yeah. Um, but at least you know, you, I would have built some sort of antibodies, and I know from your your, your guest this morning that's not necessarily a guarantee that you won't get it again. But at least you have built up some sort of
4: exactly antibody. right. And 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 as far as the whole kind of uh, testing experience went, were you when you got there? Was it busy? What was
6: it like? Um, we had time slots. And there was about 14, 12 or 14 separate stations. Okay. You drive in, you keep your windows shut. They've got signs, and they say, ring this number, and then you ring the number, and you you talk to the guy outside, the, 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 the man or woman outside, and they give you instructions. You open your window, they chuck the t- testing kit in, and you move forwards, uh, and you're always in contact. You've always got a phone number to ring, and you're talking to the guy outside your car. And then basically, once you've done the test and followed all the instructions and all the bits and pieces, you drive round, and you, you you sort of open your window and you chuck it into a bin and that's it. You know, you can't see any particular ways that people are going to get contaminated by the procedure. So, no. it, as I say, it was quite slick and, and uh, not too unpleasant. Uh, and not, there weren't, there weren't sort of, there wasn't a three-mile sort of to get in, no. it, was, uh, it was quite well organised, very no. well organised.
4: Sounds good. Well listen thanks for letting us know Paul, hope it all turns out okay for you uh, and if you have got it that it's a very mild form of it um, and then uh, maybe let us know when you get the test result and we can uh, we can tell everybody else as well
0: Mid morning with Mike Graham Talk Radio The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio
4: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham Ian Collins coming up from one o'clock Dan Wooten from four, uh, time now though to do some homeschooling because we've had some some fantastic guests on uh, we've learned an awful lot about an awful lot of things that we didn't know much about today i'm delighted to say we've got danielle hartz also known as danny the guide a blue badge tourist guide she's going to tell us all about the changing of the guard danielle should i call you danielle or danny the guide uh
2: danny is absolutely fine thank you for having me mike it's no to be here.
4: not at all well i mean you know it's not a very nice day if you were out there changing of the guard but i presume at the moment they're not actually doing it are they
2: Uh, No, they have actually cancelled the symbolic ceremony with Mm. all the band and the uh, ceremony. But, uh, you know, even if we had been out there and it was lashing down with rain, they still wouldn't do it.
4: Yes. I mean, it's a a remarkable sort of experience to sit there and watch it. A lot of people have only ever seen it on TV. But when you see it in person, it really is quite impressive. Tell us what, uh, what it's all about and how old it is.
2: So, what the Changing of the Guard ceremony is all about is that old age tradition of two regiments changing responsibility to look after Her Majesty's palaces. Um, so it happens at Buckingham Palace mainly, but it is split between St James's Palace, right. which is just up the road from Buckingham Palace, and Horse Guards Parade. Mm. And when it doesn't happen there in London, it happens at Windsor Castle. Okay. So they do it on alternate days.
4: Okay. And how? And how often? I mean, how? When? When was the first time it was done?
2: So, although there are suggestions it does date back to the Tudor period, in its current format, it dates from the restoration of the monarchy in 1660 when Charles II returned to uh, restore the monarchy after we had a republic under Oliver Cromwell. Yes. Um, you know, he had a fear for his life. You know, his father had his head chopped off for really annoying Parliament. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, he must
4: have been a bit nervous when he had all those guards around him thinking, and which one of these guys is going to go for me?
2: Well... They were the most loyal troops he could muster up because a lot of them returned with him from the continent when he had escaped during the Republic.
4: Wow. So, fascinating times. And is there a sort of definitive number of people that have to take part in it? How do they select the people that do it?
2: So, they select um, through the recruitment process. So, when you join the army, you state that you want to join the household division. So, it's a specific branch of Hmm. the military of the British army. Um, There are seven um, in the household division, seven regiments. You have two which are cavalry and five infantry uh, regiments. So two regiments with uh, soldiers and horses, and they get to learn that during basic training as well. How to ride a horse, so it's not imperative that you do know
4: how to ride a horse. But, I mean, it's not easy, is it? Because you're not just riding a horse, you're kind of controlling the horse and you're sitting there in what could be a very, um, you know, I don't know, very visible role. And if anything goes horribly wrong, I mean, we all remember when you see the the, the guard standing, one of them faints or something, it's one of those, I always think it could be one of the most embarrassing things you could ever do, you know. But but if you just step out of line in a tiny way, everybody sees it.
2: It is very, very visual and and they do get trained on how to, you know, conduct themselves in a public manner. And, you know, a lot of the tourists um, and guides who are there every single day, I mean, guides we notice every minute detail because we're there every day, practically, but, you know, everyone's sympathetic because you know controlling a live animal is controlling a live animal at the end of the day
4: yeah true and and so it's quite a lot to think i mean and and do they sort of practice it at all before they get given the right to do it as it were
2: they do they they have a massive uh they get extra three week training on top of basic training yeah um for learning how to march in step and keep control of their horses i mean it takes 10 months to train a horse and the cavalryman It takes a lot longer than the infantry, per se.
4: Right. And as far as the the, the frequency of it um, and whether or not the Queen is always present, how does that work? Because she doesn't do everything that she used to do now, does she?
2: No, 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 no. So the Queen isn't usually present when the guard change is going on because it does happen when she's not even at Buckingham Palace. Right. Um, You know, so there is a long guard for when she's at Buckingham Palace and a short guard for when she is. It basically means there's an extra ten soldiers on duty for when she's at home at Buckingham Palace. Okay. Um, you know, and the infantry are the main people that people associate with uh, Buckingham Palace, with their scarlet tunics and the big bearskin hat.
4: Yes. I'm told the bearskin hat is no longer bearskin, or was it never bearskin?
2: Um, it was bearskin uh, from Canada. Canadian brown bear was chosen. Right. Of, uh, the female brown bear, because their their skin, was, their pelt was a lot softer and easier to uh, work with. Right. And they were dyed black. Um. They do have faux fur going around, but it's still a question of debate whether it's appropriate or not. Mm.
4: So, do they still use bear skin then? Um,
2: in some cases, I believe they still do. Oh, do they? Okay. They don't.
4: I, thought, I thought they'd made it sort of out of something more synthetic, given the sensitivities these days.
2: Yeah, they have started to, and even the Queen has gone on record saying that she's not going to wear her furs anymore as well. So they are really taking measures now to get everyone into their synthetics.
4: Right. And at the moment, you may not know the answer to this, but at the moment in terms of the lockdown, is there there lots of activity that that isn't happening, as it were, which would normally be happening? Because I I think it was the first weekend of the lockdown, um, I went past the horse guards parade, and there were two sentries still sitting on their horses, wearing all the gear, you know, there wasn't really anybody out the front.
2: They are still doing their duties, but they're just not doing the big ceremony that otherwise we would be watching.
4: Mm, okay, so when do you think? I mean, obviously, you probably this is another sixty-four thousand dollars question. When do you think they'll come back to normal <laughs> with this? Because, I mean, obviously, I guess Boris Johnson hasn't got this number one in his uh, in his th- set of things to do. You know, restart the changing of the guard.
2: Yeah, no, restart tourism. That's that's uh, yeah.
4: I mean, I um, suppose that is the big thing. So when you do tours of the Changing of the Guard, um, is it is it is it um, pretty well signed up to?
2: It is one of the most popular ones. I mean, I call it my bread and butter tour because it's guaranteed all year round usually does happen. Mm. You know, and there's always something to see and it's such a beautiful ceremony. It really makes you proud to be British. It's yes. Just, you know, it evokes all those patriotic feelings in you. And, you know, and then discussing the history, you know, and... Everyone loves a good old story about the royal family.
4: Oh, I, mean, I mean, the royal family will never not be a part of the whole tourist uh, practice here, will they?
2: No, no, no. Um, I hope not because, you know, they, I, I think you can tell by my voice I am a royalist. <laughs> um, you know, I believe in our monarchy and its history. And I'm proud as a Londoner to be able to share it. And it's very tough now that we're in lockdown.
4: Yes, Absolutely right. Well, listen, thank you so much for talking us through it, Danielle. Uh, it was very interesting and uh, evocative and historical as well. Danny the Guide, uh, Danielle Hart, uh, also known as, uh, because we do all of this homeschooling, not just for uh, for our own purposes, but for your purposes as well. So don't forget, 12.30, every single day, uh, we can get your children around the radio and learn something uh, that you didn't know before. And quite a lot of people are saying that it's not just their kids that are learning stuff, uh, they are as well. Uh, we'll have some more homeschooling for you uh, every day at 12.30. Talk